0: I am so grateful for this opportunity. And in case you're wondering, yeah, it's real intimidating. (laughs) Will you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, amen. Several years ago, John Mayer had a hit song called Waiting on the World to Change. Do you remember that song? It was really popular. He won a Grammy for it. I've got that song on my iPod. I I like Mr. Mayor's music, but with that said, I've got to tell you I'm not crazy about the message in his song. I want to read to you the first verse. Me and all my friends were all misunderstood. They say we stand for nothing and there's no way we ever could. Now, we see everything that's going wrong with the world and those who lead it. We just feel like we don't have the power to rise above and beat it. So we keep waiting, waiting on the world to change. We keep waiting, waiting on the world to change. Now, this song is Mr. Mayer's lament over the state of this world. He wrote it, according to one source, because he was trying to express the feelings of helplessness that come when you know all the things that need to change in this world, but you also know the futility in trying. Mr. Mayer and his friends feel powerless to affect change, and because they feel powerless, they choose to wait. And I get that. I really do. Because if you turn on the news, listen to any of the major news networks, the world appears to be falling apart. Famine, disease, natural disasters, not to mention the disasters that we bring about, persecution and war, corrupt governments, ineffective and immoral leaders. Why, it's enough to make you want to pick up your guitar and write a song about how terrible the world is. So while I really like Mr. Mayor's music, I disagree with his worldview and his decision to disengage. I disagree because I know something that I don't think Mr. Mayor knows. We don't have to wait on the world to change because the world changed the moment God broke into history in the person of Jesus Christ. And we are called to continue to change the world through the power of the Holy Spirit in partnership with Christ's ongoing ministry until he returns and completes what he started that day on the banks of the Jordan River. I'm going to let Mark walk us through his version of how God changed the world that day. In the very first verse of the first chapter, we hear the words, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That one verse says it all, doesn't it? And we begin to think, we've heard some of that somewhere before, haven't we? Maybe Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we are reminded that the God who has been active in all of history is still active. The creator of the world has been working to change the world since Adam and Eve chose autonomy over dependence on God. So Mark chooses his words carefully. He wants to convey the enormity of what God is doing in the world, and so Mark uses the word evangel, good news. This word would have been very familiar to any of the Romans in Mark's audience, He or she would have understood that Evangel is a a proclamation of joyful tidings associated with the worship of an emperor, a celebration, really, of that emperor's rule and reign. Mark contextualizes the word. He creates new meaning for his hearers by using Evangel to speak of an historical event which would usher in the rule and reign of God. Mark's use of the word evangel, this good news, has everything to do with the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus' coming is now an event that brings about a radically new situation for humanity. This is the time of salvation, and Jesus is the bearer of that salvation. And with his coming, the world changed. The in-breaking of God into history brings the gospel, the evangel, the good news to the poor, brings release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and freedom for the oppressed. Through Jesus, God's reign and salvation can be experienced in the here and now. There's no need to wait on the world to change. And the messenger of all this good news is John the Baptist. He makes the royal announcement as the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Not only is John the herald, but he tells us how to respond to this good news. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. This good news, this gospel calls people back to God through a baptism of repentance For the forgiveness of sins can you feel it something's different the times they are a changing but this change according to john demands persons turn from sin and turn back to god a return to the relationship that god intended for humanity before the fall This baptism of repentance requires persons to make a total commitment to God. You're either all in or you're not. And if you think about it, it just can't work any other way because the radical, transformative work of God can only be accomplished in us when we fully submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And we allow him to come in and heal our wounds, wash us clean, and make us holy by the power of his Spirit. And while John's baptism required repentance, it was an act of preparation. John's baptism prepared people for the powerful reality to come, the reality which one scholar noted of the revelation of God extending back To Israel's inception at the exodus, from Sinai onward, and particularly in the prophets, God has been preparing for a new beginning in Jesus Christ. And I think if you listen intently to Mark in those first few verses, you can hear the prophetic song. It's been a long, a long time coming but I know a change is gonna come. You see, I've got this picture in my mind. All of heaven is perched on the edge of their seats. They're waiting, waiting on the world to change. Moses and the prophets and the kings and the priests and the angels and the archangels, they're peering through the veil that separates us. They're waiting. And there he is jesus jesus from nazareth of galilee is standing in the midst of his people waiting his turn in line he steps up to the banks of the jordan and john baptizes him mark records what happens next and just as he was coming up out of the water he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice from heaven says, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. And I think all of heaven erupted in cheers because it's happened. John's baptism is the inaugural event of Jesus's public, or Jesus's baptism is the inaugural event of his public ministry. The change has come. Now, don't you wonder why Jesus, the Son of God, went to John to be baptized? Mark doesn't tell us, but Matthew's gospel says John didn't want to do it. He said, This isn't proper. I'm the one that needs to be baptized by you. Something amazing happened in that moment. The kind of thing that turns history around, it turns history everything upside down, Jesus, fully God and fully man, fully participates in our mess, in our birthright. Dr. Siemens likes to say, he came in the middle of our muddle. He will not set himself apart from our sins. The one who will baptize with the Spirit submits to the Father with a total commitment to receive the baptism of repentance. Adolf Schlater put it like this. He said, Jesus associates himself with sinners and ranks himself with the guilty. Not to find salvation for himself, not on account of his own guilt in his flight from the approaching wrath, but because he is at one with the church and the bearer of divine mercy. The bearer of divine mercy changed the world that day. Jesus, through his baptism, identified himself with us, with sinful humanity. In that moment, the Holy Spirit filled him completely and equipped him for ministry. Jesus blazed the trail And he made it possible for us to turn away from sin and to turn back to God. We have been enabled to return to the one who offers forgiveness and gives us new life. And in our turning, we have been changed. That's the good news. As we receive the Holy Spirit in baptism, we find our true identity as children of God. We're incorporated into the body of Christ. We are born anew, and we receive the power of the Holy Spirit to live out this change. And this is where it gets good, and this is the part that John Mayer needs to know. In our baptism, we are commissioned into Jesus' ongoing ministry of course partnering with Jesus won't be smooth sailing it wasn't smooth sailing for him still dripping water from the Jordan Jesus is driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to face the adversary we can expect the same you and I when we go all in when we commit when we're walking in the Spirit, when we're doing the work of Christ in this world, but know this, we've got access to the same tools that Jesus used to deal with Satan, so put on your tool belts. Jesus is now baptized. He's fresh off his wilderness testing, and he is ready to make his debut. The time has come. Jesus enters Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Our God is on the move, fulfilling his promise of redemption. God has acted, has acted decisively in Christ to reconcile the world to himself. And God continues to act in ways that dramatically impact all of humanity. But the kingdom is now and not yet. We know that the kingdom in its fullness is not here. We're aware that all of creation is still groaning. We're groaning right along with it. We are not blind to earthquakes in Nepal and the persecution of Christians around the world. We are not ignorant of the plight, the homeless, the helpless, the hungry, and the displaced. We are not unaware of those who suffer with disease and pain. We know all too well the consummation of the kingdom is still to come, but in the meantime, we don't sit idly by and wring our hands and bemoan our helplessness we live out the promise of our baptism we joyfully and eagerly participate with christ in his ministry to the glory of god through the power of the holy spirit because we are the people of god the body of christ the community of the Holy Spirit, the ones charged with advancing the kingdom of God. John Mayer might be encouraged to know that the people of God are still serving in ways that radically change the world. Here's an example. Refuge for Women is a faith-based program that provides a place of escape for sexually exploited women. Women in this program spend up to 12 months living together in community, being cared for with the love of Christ. This program is designed to help women experience sobriety and healing from trauma while rebuilding trust and developing a relationship with Christ. Now, I've been privileged to journey with a few of these women, and I can tell you that not every story is a success story. After all, the kingdom in its fullness is not yet here. But there are women whose lives have been changed by the power of holy love through the inauguration of the rule and reign of God in this world. And when the life of one woman is changed, the lives of countless others are impacted. And that's the way the kingdom works. So the next time you hear folks complaining that the world is just too far gone, that there's nothing that can be done, remind them that the kingdom of God has come among us in the person of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is indeed among us, and yet there is much work to be done. And that is why we must continuously return to this table, to Christ's table, because this is the place where we celebrate the now and the not yet of the kingdom. It's the place where we remember and give thanks for all the ways that God has already changed the world. And it's the place where we are joined together as brothers and sisters to feast on Jesus because the journey is just too much for us. So after you eat your fill today, I leave you with this. What are you waiting for? Go on, change the world in the name of the risen Christ. Amen. Amen.